Right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Decred Assembly. Um, we have an incredibly special guest here today. Uh, his name is Lalu, aka Roast Beef of the Lightning Network. This guy is a crypto OG. He knows <laughs> what's going on. Uh, and, and he's honestly, it's, it's an honor to have him on here. This is probably the most excited I've been, um, for any guests we've had thus far, even though we've had some amazing guests and, uh, everybody that knows Decred knows that lightning network is a very high priority for Decred. So it's great to have a uh, Lalu here. We're going to kind of just talk about, you know, what the lightning work network is, what it does, um, and why it's important for not just Decred, but Bitcoin, Litecoin, I mean, really any cryptocurrency in general. Um, so kind of. The structure of today's episode um you know everybody knows me i'm daniel everybody knows tyler as well um he yes. went to consensus with me it was a blast um so we're going to um kind of first take a look at the hard fork voting page um give tyler a moment to get his screen share up um and tyler's going to talk for just a moment about our current vote and um also you know a couple of you have wondered uh you know what quorum means and stuff like that so tyler's going to go over that Okay. Yeah. So right now, uh, looks like we're. I guess we're at fifty percent of the vote being complete. Is that is that right, um, Daniel? Yeah. But, that looks <laughs> <about right. laughs> so um, and it looks like it looks like the vote's going to pass. I mean, we've got ninety-seven percent saying yes and only two percent saying no on the staking difficulty algorithm, and ninety-eight point six percent saying yes on Lightning Network support. And 1.4% saying no. So, and in, and it looks like we've reached quorum on both sides. And and what quorum means is that um, so we need to reach at least 10% quorum. And what that means is if 90% of all the votes were abstain, which means they're neutral, which means they they don't go one way or the other, we could still reach quorum. But let's say 91% of all the votes that were passed over that period of time um, were abstain then that means we would never reach quorum, so we wouldn't have enough votes to actually pass um, pass the vote onto the network. So so everybody doesn't even actually have to vote. As long as at least 10% of the votes count, then um, in, in either yes or no for any vote, then then we'll reach quorum. So anyways, we've reached quorum on both, uh, on both votes so far, so that's good news. And um, yeah, if you guys are staking, make sure you vote. Uh, make sure you go to your pool and uh, check your voting parameters if, if you're staking in a pool uh, that should be in your user interface with, within your uh, pool admin stuff. So uh, anything else, Daniel, that I should bring up? Oh, that's, that sounds fantastic. Um, you know, I think it, it was good to just kind of clarify what's going on. I think the votes are going fantastically, and I think everything is working as intended, which is very exciting. Um, we're kind of getting an uh, infinity effect from you, Tyler. <laughs> <Not> yes, <laughs> Um, but anyway, so we did go to consensus in New York and I got to tell you guys, like I have never had so much fun. That was freaking awesome. Um, and okay. We're still screen sharing. Uh, Tyler, it looks like you were uh, there we go. Okay. Right now, which, you know, there you go. <laughs> much as I like doing sometimes, like, you know, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, consensus was awesome. And you know, one of the things that I realized at consensus was just how big this space has gotten. Um, and, and, you know, everybody, or until I went to consensus already had, you know, a feeling that blockchain technology was becoming big. But once I was at consensus to see so many big names and banks and I mean, institutional investors and hedge funds, and I mean, just about anybody you could imagine, um, to be there was there from every industry possible. And you had, you know, uh, people developing different technologies to do so many different things using the blockchain. I mean, it made me very optimistic that we're all in the right place at the right time. I mean, it was really an incredible thing to be there. Um, and, you know, Tyler and I did a lot of really cool stuff at Consensus. And, you know, I'm going to talk about some. I'll let him talk about the other. Um, I think I'll talk about our meeting with Jax and I'll let Tyler talk about our meeting with a PR firm. Um, I think that'll be cool. But, you know, we had a meeting with Jax.io. And, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't know this, but, you know, we've been kind of in communications with Jax for a while. Jake and I had a phone call with Anthony Delorio. Um, which was really cool. He's a nice guy. He's very knowledgeable about the space and, you know, we're glad to have his support. But, uh, you know, we went to this meeting and um, we we showed up on time, of course, a little bit early. You know, we were trying to be, you know, heavy hitters and ballers and, you know, try to be impressive. And, you know, we, we walk in the room and we're like, oh, Vinny Lingham, uh, Charlie Shrim, Anthony DeLorio, like, like 
who the who's who of crypto is like in this room like right now and we're like you know like <laughs> hey guys sorry, what do we, guys. <laughs> sorry like what do we do and anthony's like one moment one moment so we like go out and chill out in the hall or whatever and uh yeah we, we came back in and um they told us um that Jax is super excited to be integrating Decred, and they're going to do all these cool things for Decred. And one of these things is going to be kind of a newbie onboarding um, section. And what they're actually going to enable is uh, a place for people to come in and learn about different cryptocurrencies. And Decred is going to be on this program. So you're going to be able to come in, learn all about Decred just from a total newbie perspective, which is really going to help with adoption. And then they're going to have uh, services that they're offering as well. Um, which is going to be really neat. So our meeting was with Charlie Shrem and Anthony and I mean, you know, it's, they seem so scary or whatever on Twitter, but both of them were just, I mean, <laughs> as cool as can be. Um, Charlie Shrem was so freaking chill and just, he's just a cool, legit guy. He's just real goofy, real nice, uh, and really eager to help. And he really cares about the space. So we are incredibly excited about our partnership with Jax. Um, now in terms of just uh, kind of what was going on at Consensus, you know, we walked around, we talked to a lot of people, VCs, we both had our Decred swag on. Um, at least I was wearing the Decred t-shirt the first day until I realized that I was probably the only guy there that didn't have a suit on, which Tyler can attest to. <laughs> I was like literally freaking out. I was like, dude, everybody's looking at me. I, like, I'm not wearing a suit, like what's going on? So I actually went and bought like a jacket and some nice pants so I wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb. Um, but you know, we had our consensus badges said Decred and I was honestly shocked at how well received Decred was and how many people knew about Decred, how many people were excited about Decred and the future of Decred. And not only that, but the respect that they had for the development team behind Decred. So I think that I've kind of spoken enough about that. I'm going to let Tyler speak about his experience there a little bit and also our meeting with a big PR firm. Awesome. Yeah. Hey guys. So uh, first thing I want to do is give a shout out to Crypto Graffiti. He actually uh, has these shirts that you can buy on his store. He has like three Decred shirts you guys can check out. Um, so give him give him a shout. He was uh, and that store is at uh, CryptoGraffiti.com. Yes, CryptoGraffiti.com, and then goes merchandise section, and that's where you find shirts. But um, anyways. He, uh, he was also really paramount in all the networking connections that we had um, during consensus. But um, yeah, we had a really good meeting with the PR firm. And what they really did was help us start to really dial down on who we are as a community and, and kind of like how we want to um, sell ourselves to you know the press and, and what we're really all about. And uh, we had a really long talk with a really great PR firm. And they really kind of resonate with what we kind of feel and you know one of the things we even really talked about was uh, you know maybe we should really try to approach and try to be the the coin that is you know for the people and 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 for the unbanked specifically because a lot of people are really not trying to tackle this space right now and you know a lot of uh i think the people in the decred community have a really kind of humanitarian outlook on cryptocurrency and I think that really resonates personally with me and Daniel and and Go Tom, who was also on the meeting, and um, you know, and then uh, Coin Artist, who's also been working on you know on everything, and and yeah, we're really looking for uh, forward to that relationship, and um, you know, I think it's really going to be able to give us that kind of extra leg up on on getting mentioned and CoinDesk and some of these bigger outfits, and you know, maybe TechCrunch or whatever, but. Um, you know, that went really well and I'm really excited about, uh, working with them. Um, yeah. So besides that, uh, I met with Fran from Brave New Coin for a long time. Uh, I was able to pitch him Decred. He's, he's, uh, I think he's going to throw us a bone and, and get us some, uh, publications on, on Brave New Coin. It's an awesome, awesome space to, to check out. Uh, Luke Parker is one of my favorite journalists and he writes exclusively for them. Uh, and for Bitcoin. So, um, what else? Uh, yeah. No, so think, then, I think then we, we uh, too, just real quick. I mean, this PR firm, like we're not talking about like, you know, like some, you know, run of the mill, like, you know, we like wimpy PR firm. Like this is like a really big deal, like a really heavy hitting, like New York based PR firm. And it's not a crypto PR firm, although they do have, yeah. you know, crypto connections, but I mean, we're talking about guys that do PR for like major companies, you know, like like a, a Nabisco or a Wikipedia or, you know, people like that. So 
that's I mean to even be at the same table with this guy was uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and he's uh, and specifically they're they're really excited about working with us. They really love our project, and I think they really resonate with uh, the stuff that the community feels is really beneficial about crypto. So uh, it's going to be really awesome. So um, what else? Oh yeah, so we also organized a huge uh, PR stunt. Uh, so. Coin artists and crypto graffiti are definitely the ones to blame. They did majority of the work. Uh, I basically helped put stickers on like freeze dried ice cream and stuff. But um, so yeah, we, we basically organized to have a couple break dancers, one in an astronaut costume with decred logos all over it, and another in an alien costume. And they did like a little dance off for like three minutes. Um, it was really cool. It was really well received. Um, I think it kind of you know spoke volumes about kind of the the marketing approach that our community has taken so far um and it's going to be it, it was it was really fun to do and i really enjoyed it and um anyways you know just like daniel said uh i spoke with a lot of people on the technical aspects of decred i pitched to you know vcs i pitched to um just devs in general that were interested in learning more about decred even went to the monero meetup um where some of the most skeptical people about crypto exist and uh, Decred was honestly like very, very well received uh, everywhere I went, uh, which you know just you know I guess reinforced a lot of the uh, the things I've been you know thinking to myself about Decred for a long time. And uh, consensus was really awesome, and uh, it's such a crazy time right now in crypto. And um, you know everybody was happy because you know Bitcoin was like twenty seven hundred at one point. <laughs> everybody was having a good time, so. Um, it was uh, it was really awesome, and um, you know, we, you everybody that's watching that's been a part of the community for a long time. I mean, you you guys you know you guys know what this project is about, and uh, you know we are we're just you know we're a really great project, and and you should definitely um, you know remember that I guess so. Well, hey, and not only that, but we're just getting started. I mean, yeah. just because this hard fork voting mechanism has just been implemented, and that's kind of the whole point of Decred. You know, when we look at Bitcoin and we see them having so much difficulty just making decisions because there's so many um, conflicts of interest. You know, you have the miners, which are for-profit business, and, you know, why Why would, especially like guys like with ASIC Boost, why would they want to give up their competitive advantage and, you know, adopt SegWit? Because... Uh, I mean, they're they're making money, and you know why would they want picker blocks when they're reaping the transaction fees? Um, so it's really a situation where uh, Decred is going to kind of give everybody an opportunity to just have some kind of direction, have a say. Uh, I mean, if you're a holder in the project, you should have a say, and um, we're really excited about empowering everybody and you know giving them the ability to do that. Um, but with that being said, you know. One of the things that we are currently voting on, and there's been a lot of hype around this recently, is the Lightning Network. Um, now, many of you may not realize this, but we have like the guy uh, on the <laughs> chat with us. Like, he, he is the man when it comes to the Lightning Network, and um, he's gonna. We're gonna kind of you know talk to him, ask him uh, some questions. You know, Tyler and I have already kind of organized this and determine some questions that we that we personally have and you know that we've heard from our community um and after that uh if you know assuming we have time we'll probably open up the floor um and just let roast beef uh you know talk, talk a little talk and uh also we'll you know kind of poll the the audience and see what you guys want to hear from him so uh without further ado i give you Roast beef of the Lightning Network, the man <laughs> is here in person. And our first question for you, man, is what is the Lightning Network? Cool. Okay, so like the Lightning Network is basically kind of like an advancement on regular payment channels, where initially payment channels allowed you to basically, um, you know, well, the original version allowed you to do unidirectional payments, meaning, you know, Alice can send payments to Bob. And she does this by creating an on-chain transaction. And once that's in the actual blockchain, she can then send Bob, a, you know, new updated copies of the transaction. So Bob has now one Bitcoin, two Bitcoin, three Bitcoin, and so on, you know, up until the ceiling of the amount of which she actually put it initially. So this is very cool because, you know, just in the regular unidirectional setting, this means that Alice can make payments very, very quickly to Bob, right? And the actual delta of these payments can be very, very small. 
So, um, you know, at, when cryptocurrencies get older, at times the fees get prohibitive for you to make very small trend, very small payments. So using this, you can basically have, you know, very, very rapidly um, adjusted and very, very, like, small payments actually, uh, you know, off-chain, which is, like, huge. And that's, you know, how many people initially, when they got into cryptocurrencies, that, that's what they wanted, right? They wanted micropayments. But they didn't, they didn't realize that initially maybe the underlying base, you know, wasn't that suitable for it. But because, you know, this is basically programmable money, we can basically build these layers on top. So yeah. that was the initial, you know, unidirectional payment channel. And then later on, um, you know, Taz and Joseph with the Lightning Network, they made the bidirectional payment channel, right? Which so, basically so, allows. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Real quick. So, uh, so yeah. you you say payment channels. So, and just for our users <laughs> out there, what do you mean by payment channels? Okay, by payment channel, it's you can look at it as basically like a joint two of two account where either party, once they actually open the account, and you know, to open the account, you basically go to the blockchain. Once it's actually open, you can then use that to rapidly adjust money back and forth. Right? And I guess a lot of people compare that to, uh, you know, kind of having like a bar tab open at a bar, right? I know that's exactly. like a common, uh, or, or, you know, your tab at a coffee bar or something. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and like the intuition there is basically like delayed settlement where like until we actually want to move our money, you know, out of this like bar tab or possibly, you know, later on I can get into how we can like hook up bar tabs essentially to route around different bar tabs if I'm abusing the analogy there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, this basically allows you to have more efficient use of the underlying chain because now we're not, you know, wasting it with a bunch of like one penny transactions, you know, which is like clogging up the space. Instead, it's on this upper layer and it's very, very efficient. And it's also more private because, you know, with the regular chain, every single time you broadcast transaction, if you don't have any like, you know, anonymity enhancing technology, everyone sees it's moving from A to B or the outputs, right? If you have a payment channel, then it's only the participants uh, with themselves who actually see the movement of the money. So uh, basically gives you, you know, scalability, you can do smaller payments, and it also gives you a degree of privacy because no longer is every single transaction, uh, you know, in this global ledger, essentially. Awesome. All right, fantastic. And uh, I think I think I was actually supposed to ask you another question first. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, got, I, I, I got struck by the lightning network. So um, <laughs> the first question is, you know, how did you get into cryptocurrency? Um, who are you? Yeah. yeah. Who who are you? Introduce yourself. Yeah. My bad, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, no problem. Uh, yeah. So my name is um, Alalu Ashtoku. Uh, I go by Rose Beef on the internet, and then people call me Lalu, also in Meat Space. Um, I first got into cryptocurrencies, I guess, in like 2013, 2014 or so. Uh, well, I mean, I guess my first actual um, encounter was like my freshman year of college, where this guy basically was like, you know, showing people like Silk Road and stuff. And I was just like, what is this? Like, how can this even exist? How is it, you know, still standing? And he's like, oh, there's Bitcoin. And I was like, Bitcoin? Like, you know, at that point, like I was a computer science major, but I hadn't like programming, you know, before that, like, you know, some people like the program since like they were five years old or whatever. I, I started, you know, basically in college. Uh, so at that point, like I didn't really get it because I was like, okay, I don't like see how it can it work or anything like that. And it wasn't until like later on, so like my sophomore or junior year where I, you know, I had enough like CS background to understand like, oh, wow, that's what it does actually. And from there, I basically just like started digging in papers. I just kept, kept like reading. I was like, you know, how does it actually work? You know, trying to like eliminate the magic and see, see actually, uh, you know, what the underlying, uh, you know, components were. And then from that point on, I was like, I, I got to do this basically. Um, so then I decided to do, to stay another year at school to do a master's degree. Uh, where I worked in uh, applied cryptography and ended up doing um, things around like the area of like searchable encryption, which basically lets you kind of like do searches on an encrypted database, which has kind of like impacts for like medical databases or like, you know, very like DNA, you know, very sensitive uh, data sets on that. And then from there on, uh, my first actual like code contribution was to BTCD and, you know, BTCD and Decred, they kind of have like a shared lineage, you know, in the same code base. So, you know, that's how I got introduced with, to Dave and, the, and those other guys. And like, I was like, well, this code's amazing. And like, you know, I learned a lot reading that code base. And then from there on, you know, I started just to like learn more and more about it and continue, continue to like contribute, uh, you know, pull requests and do review uh, to BTCD and then eventually going into Lightning stuff. And uh, that's where I am now. Yeah, and I had a quick question about that. So, so why specifically do you prefer, I guess, BTCD over all the other implementations? Is it just because it's Go or? Um, um, uh, so for me, it was just like, I think the thing that you know, drew me to it initially was just like the code quality in a sense where it's like, you know, I'm a guy that like, I like really like, like, like good looking code, you know, like pretty code, <laughs> that, you know, code that looks like poetry, you know. And yeah, then as yeah. I was reading, uh, you know, the initial BTC, so I was like, this is like how I'd write it. Like, this is like some good stuff. You know, I basically had like, like a code crush on Dave and then that's, that, <laughs> you know, that's how it started basically. We, we all do, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so that's how it started. You know, I like the way it was organized and also that, you know, another thing I do in my code is I write a good degree of comments because, you know, for me, it's like, 
if I'm writing a lot of code, I, I need to walk away from it and come back and like know exactly what's going on. And the code was also very well commented, and that's where I got you know a lot of my initial Bitcoin knowledge from. Because at that point, it was still kind of like sparsely um, uh, you know populated on the internet. There were like forums and some IRC, but like I had this like you know pretty large code base where I could like see okay, that's how difficulty adjustment works. Okay, that's how blocks are made. And I think that you know really helped me along um, in terms of like learning this stuff and advancing my knowledge. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's um, really cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, and you know, like I know there's a lot of hype and everything, I guess, around the Lightning Network. So, mm -hmm. I mean, specifically, like, why why do we need the Lightning Network right now? Like, I mean, you know, there's microtransactions, but I know there's also atomic cross chain swaps. There's a mm -hmm. bunch of other things that I guess the Lightning Network can do that. Mm -hmm. you just can't do on top of Bitcoin. So, I mean, maybe you could speak about some of those, um, uh, some of those yeah. things. Yeah, so, you know, first of all, like, you know, I think Lightning is great, definitely, which is why I'm working on it currently. You know, I will say that it's not, you know, a server bullet. There are no server bullets. You know, it has downsides and upsides. But what it's really good at is basically, uh, you know, allowing a chain to kind of accommodate more users, essentially, right? Because we achieve a greater degree of scalability. One way you can look at it is you have more efficient usage of the underlying chain itself. You know, before I was making a thousand payments, you know, over the course of a year. Now maybe I make like ten or so, depending on you know my usage on mining itself. Uh, and so you know, so that's one thing. Another thing is that it actually allows you know for instant you know payments, right? While uh, people like zero comp on blockchains and like you know zero comp essentially requires you to trust the person that's sending you the money that they don't try to double spend for me. And um, you know, when people got into cryptocurrencies, they're like that, that was instant, which is really cool. But Lightning actually de delivers on that instant uh, payment promise, right? So. What, you know, if I have, uh, I guess, you can get to later like a route, or if I'm just even doing a direct payment, then uh, it's basically instant, and that's it. And I can just keep going on that. And also, this allows you to do very, very small amounts of payments, where you get to a certain point on you know, blockchains where you have like what they call like dust, where maybe if the fees get to a certain point, it would cost me more to actually you know spend something than what I was trying to send actually. So it's like uneconomical, right? Well, this yeah. I can actually send very, very small amounts. And I think uh, one of the other things is that uh, Lightning kind of gives developers like a new application platform to develop, you know, on like Bitcoin or other blockchains on, right? Where, you know, typically they're doing things with inputs and outputs and they're signing and there's like malleability and all this other stuff like confirmations. Well, with this, it's like I have a channel and I can send the payment, right? Now I can worry about, you know, all my other logic around it or possibly use it in conjunction with other tools to make, you know, more, um, you know, uh, feature-fledged applications. So you basically have like a much simpler application interface for the developers, and using that, I think, uh, you know, will allow people to make some really cool things on top of it. And basically, you can also, you know, if you have like micropayments on the internet, that's basically like anti-spam, right? Where it's like, okay, you want to like, you know, do the sign up, you give me like, you know, uh, five cents, and then you can actually do the sign up, right? And using this, you can kind of like rate limit certain services, you know, prevent civil attacks, um, and you know, things like that, and get into things where you're doing like metering. Metering basically, you know, based on like bandwidth, perhaps, or maybe you know, I'm getting paid uh, every minute now rather than like you know every two months or something like that. You know, I have immediate access to this money. And I think there are other you know possibilities along that line. Line they can go down on and things like exchanges. But yeah, I think there's a lot of um cool use cases that people will start to start to um, actually explore. Yeah. So and how, do you, how do you think the average user will actually use the Lightning Network? I mean, is it do you, do you imagine it as being something that's integrated with you know maybe Decred Wallet or Bitcoin Wallet or you know whoever's using it? Is is it going to be kind of like a user selectable option, or is it going to be become like the primary uh, payment channel for Bitcoin? I mean, just just in your vision. Okay. Uh, yeah. I guess in my vision, uh, maybe there are a few ways. Like, so just from speaking from the wallet standpoint, you know, I envisioned that like this will be built into many wallets because, uh, you know, it's complementary. There are some payments you want to make on chain and some you want to make on Lightning, right? So, you know, if I'm like buying a house from like that, you're like, you know, like a used car for like 10k, I'll likely make that on chain because I want that security there and I want it to be done. But if I'm, you know, doing some uh, other like payment, like getting like a candy bar from a store, maybe I use Lightning instead. So I'd imagine that this would be fully integrated into wallets, and the wallets you know, would basically hide all this complexity of like, am I doing a Lightning payment, or am I doing an on-chain payment, you know, behind like a very, very simple UI. And from that point, the wallet will, will be able to manage its funds, you know, on-chain, and then also off-chain, and perhaps sometimes you know, combine them or you know, rebalance them accordingly as the user wishes them to do. So uh, you know, ideally, in the best case, you know, the user opens the wallet, they pay for something, and then that's it. And the, uh, you know, if that's unsuccessful for whatever reason, there's something going on with the network, then maybe they default to do a regular on-chain payment. And at least at that point, it's just like you know, it's like regular base uh, Bitcoin or whatever you're using at that point. Um, so, and so then users are never really going to even realize that they're using the Lightning Network. You you kind of foresee this being something that's handled by the software, you know, based on uh, your transaction size, you know, how much you're sending, essentially. Yeah, 
Yes, okay. yeah. So ideally, you know, it's as easy as possible for the user. Maybe some more advanced applications, um, you know, doing some things with like exchanges or you know different types of games. Maybe those require a little bit more knowledge. But um, you know, there's there's like a lot of stuff going on under, and underneath, and I can like talk about it forever, basically. So ideally, we basically you know, <laughs> give them uh, what they need just to understand it, and if they want to go further, then uh, they, then they can do that itself. So wallets will basically become gotcha. you know smarter essentially, and and moving forward, I think this is needed in the space. But wallets are kind of like neglected. In my opinion, there's a lot of you know things we can do be doing on them, like coin joins and things like that. Um, that you, you can actually combine with lightning in some ways, also. Sweet. Wow. Um, so yeah, and then speaking about that, I mean, you know, there's a big, huge debate within Bitcoin. It's been going on forever about um, you know scaling Bitcoin and and you know making the block size bigger and whatnot. And mm -hmm. so you know, a lot of people talk when they think about Segwit, they think about lightning. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wonder if you could speak to that, like like why is uh, is Lightning built into SegWit, or you know how how does that work? Because I'm sure a lot of users are probably wondering that. Sure. Um, yeah. So um, you know earlier when I was like getting a little bit too into the weeds, I described like the regular unidirectional payment channel, and uh, you know that was like proposed in like 2014, 2013 or so, but that had a flaw being malleability, right? Meaning that uh, the actual funding transaction when it was going in to get malleated, meaning that you know Alice would never be able to get her money back because Bob could then say I'm not going to sign it, right? So once you have that malleability fix, it lets you really like kind of open up this design space and gives you uh, more options to actually make the system better. So things like this can be done without the malleability fix, but then like it's a little bit more awkward where you have to do things like decide on how um, long you want the channel to be open for um, and other things like that. And that's kind of like a weird UX button, right? Like the user's like sliding a knob, like do I want 10 days, 30 days? Like they have to like really know like, what the technology is doing to have to ha actually have like an informed decision on that. So I can talk yeah. them off real quick. The advantages that you know SegWit or their malleability fixes bring to Lightning is that channels can be open forever, essentially. So you know, like I've had channels on like the Bitcoin testnet open for like you know four plus months, right? I can just leave them there, and, that, and it's fine. Um, another thing is that we can do um, this thing called outsourcing, where uh, within the channel construct, there's kind of like um, you know like a kind of like a game setup, and in the worst case, you may have to like do some action on chain, right? But you can basically outsource this to a, to a third party, and all they need to do is, you know, they see the transaction, they broadcast this transaction, and that's it. And that improves the security of the system. And then another thing is that um, if you have malleability, you can basically do kind of like fancier stuff because you can nest transactions more deeply. And this lets you do some cool things like um, let you be more liberal with the time locks, uh, which I guess I can go into a little bit later. But and then just generally, once you have um, you know malleability fix on blockchains that have like a UTXO model, that really lets you unlock you know smart contracts in in that model because they're based more on kind of like a tree structure, right? Rather than like updating a, like a particular state like some other blockchains, you kind of have the state being threaded through different transactions. And once you can actually do that, you can basically have you know entire contracts which are these like executed trees, you pre-sign everything and you broadcast the root, and then from there maybe you broadcast part of it or maybe you broadcast you don't broadcast another part of it. So it's it's really necessary in order to, for people to do more advanced smart contracts um, on top of these type of systems. Gotcha. Okay. And so like and I know the other big debate is like people are really trying to push to get the block size raised before we integrate SegWit. And you know during consensus the big news came out that all these companies were on board with um, you know, upping the block size, but now it sounds like they have to rewrite SegWit in order to do that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think Samson's <laughs> made a really funny uh, series of tweets about this, if you guys haven't seen it, <laughs> yeah, about yeah, basically yeah. comparing it to going to the moon. And, like, you know, he's like, well, we have all these companies behind us, so now we can, you know, uh, do this, like, six months faster than we used to. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, I guess, you know, can you – so, like, after we integrate um, – uh, so after we, I mean, I guess, can you talk about that that debate of like why we need to raise the block size first before we integrate Lightning Network, or let's say we put Lightning Network in first? Does that mean we have to rewrite the Lightning Network after you know, if in order to raise the block size? Like you know, I guess, could you speak to that kind of debate going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I guess the stuff around that debate was mostly just like a result of my opinion, kind of like miscommunication and like. Um, you know, uh, desires which weren't really expressed well, and that's just kind of like a whole like political signaling problem. Um, and it's that like, you know, first they said, okay, we want SegWit, but at the same time we want a block size increase. And then people thought that like, um, you know, they delivered on one but not the other. And the issues with these type of agreements, I guess, is, uh, you know, the ambiguity in it, where it's like, a, can be like a very vague statement and can be interpreted like, oh, wait, no, we're doing it like this. Oh, wait, no, we're doing it like this. And as you saw, like, you know, 
everyone was like had different interpretations of like this like two paragraph statement, you know, uh, <laughs> which, which which is pretty weird. Um, but like uh, speaking on, I guess what should be done. Um, I mean, basically both need to be done, really. But um, uh, it's kind of just like. It, like, like you were saying, it's difficult because all the different stakeholders have very different incentives that, you know, somewhat, um, you know, particular, uh, some have like a business model that depends on this particular trade of the chain or, or not or whatever. But like, I think they're basically, um, you know, they're both mutually beneficial, right? That if you have more space, then, um, you know, to, to a certain degree, then uh, people can actually do more transactions on chain. Then you can also have the particular use case of Lightning to go forward with. But I think, you know, both should be done in measure. Uh, I have some kind of reservations about making the size too big because, you know, we've seen the Bitcoin chain already like 160 gigabytes at this point and people working on more technology just to make it easier and things like that. But like it's something that you can never really compress it unless you like start from scratch, which is like a whole another, um, you know, hairball of like politics and things like that. But I, 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 we'll, we'll see what happens. And I guess there's some other things going on in Bitcoin right now. And I guess the next few months will be kind of interesting. So we, gotcha. we wanted to ask you about, um, you know, and we've spoken about this a couple of times, but uh, cross-chain atomic swaps and, um, you know, what exactly is a cross-chain atomic swap? And um, not only that, but, you know, in order to do something like that, I mean, would, would every coin out there have to have the Lightning Network to kind of create these decentralized exchanges? Um, you know, everybody's always concerned about getting goxed or, you know, Mint Pal, or I mean, there's several examples <laughs> of people just losing everything, and you know, it, it makes it even more painful now that Bitcoin's worth so much. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, just take a moment to speak about that. Sure. Uh, so I guess like the original like atomic swap proposal was maybe in like 2014 and 2013, and it happened on chain essentially, right? You would set up these um, you know, two sets of uh, mutually dependent transactions where. In order to claim the money from T2, I had to basically reveal some secret to claim the money from T1. And me revealing that secret will let you, you know, claim the money from T2. And this is why it's an atomic swap, right? As in, if I pull the money, you are automatically, you know, due to the way the scripting system works, you automatically are able to claim the money on T2. And that's, you know, how an on-chain swaps, right? And you can look at Lightning, uh, you know, in the multi-op setting is basically a series of off-chain swaps. That we we do this whole you know if I reveal the pre image you can get the money and sell atomically but we do that all off chain and then settle it off chain um, and so using this you can you can actually use both of them in combination I'll go into that a little bit later but using this you can essentially you know do uh, cross chain swaps right so you can imagine that like I have uh, two channels on on two chains right you know I have like chain one and chain two and uh, and I have someone I want to swap with right what I can do is uh, I can. So and you mean like cross-chain, you mean like Litecoin and Bitcoin, for example, or? Yeah, yeah, so like Litecoin and Bitcoin, right? So you know, I have like Bitcoin on this channel, and then I have Litecoin on this channel, right? And uh, let's say, you know, I have these channels with you or someone else that's like a few hops away. What I do is I basically make a circular route, right? I make a route back to myself. And uh, the reason I do the circular route is so we can actually do this uh, atomic swap, but just doing it purely off-chain. So now, uh, you know, I have like five Bitcoin here, and then Larry or whoever else has 10 Litecoin here. We, we want to swap for them, right? So I then reveal the pre-image, which lets me take this Litecoin. But at the same time, uh, Larry can then atomically take the Bitcoin himself. And uh, wow. yeah, so that's the setting where we say, you know, both chains have the code and, you know, infrastructure for, um, you know, Lightning, you know, off-chain. This can still be combined in an off-chain and an off-chain manner, where instead of me making a route back to myself, I can make a route to Larry, but then tell him, you know, to broadcast the transaction on the Litecoin chain, right? And then I can go and actually use that pre-image. I can sweep the money on the Litecoin chain, but because I still had this circuit, you know, back to myself, he also gets the money instantly. So you can like use this combination of on and off-chain swaps, basically make things like decentralized exchanges and, and so on. And um, the the missing, I mean, the parts that people are working on currently are kind of like this whole like signal signaling layer on top, which is you know how do we pair up people that want to trade with each other? How do we signal the different exchange rates that we want to do? Um, so like landing as its base layer is fully capable, but then there's a few design trade offs in terms of um, you know creating this this venue where people can say you know this is what I want to trade for what? How do we um, you know protect trade privacy? How do we stop people from um, you know just canceling trades? So like you know. The exchange would actually, in my opinion, or there's many designs, but it can be built on top as kind of like a signal layer, signaling layer on top of Lightning itself. And depending on the capabilities wow. of, the, of the chain, it may all be off-chain, it may all be on-chain, maybe a mixture of both. There may be you know, some other um, signaling things in there and coordination. But um, yes, yeah. so I think people are very excited about this because as more and more people get into cryptocurrency, then this kind of makes them more resilient if they people can you know, have like liquidity across different countries. I mean, currencies not need to necessarily depend on a centralized entity 
like some of the exchanges, um, you know, which you can have issues with, like them locking up your money, you're getting hacked, you're going down, et cetera. If you can make it, you know, a little more, more resilient, then I think that'd be a big win for the space in general. Yeah, and and so for for these cross-chain atomic swaps to work, do both chains have to have um, the Lightning Network enabled? Or um, so so like I guess minimally. So we can talk about it in terms of HTLCs, which are hash time lock contracts, right? And uh, that's like a necessary part of to do Lightning Network to payments uh, channels off chain and then also on chain. Um, so what the chains would need is essentially like a shared hash lock, which is basically like the same hash function, right? So we use like SHA-2. If the chain supports SHA-2, then we can actually do on-chain swaps. But then if the chain also has, you know, the software infrastructure and malleability fixes necessary to uh, do lightning, then we can do off and on-chain swaps. So minimally for an on-chain swap between two different chains, they need the same hash function. If they want to do these swaps off-chain, they would also need some malleability fix as well. So those are like kind of like the different tiers of it, and it, it can keep going up from there. Okay, gotcha. Um, okay, and then I, I know in the past with the Lightning Network, there was always this talk of like the hub and spoke model versus the kind of peer-to-peer model, and mm-hmm. it sounds like the hub and spoke model is kind of like a thing of the past, and no one's really going to be doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you can talk about like. What that meant and and why you know we migrated to I guess the architecture that you're speaking about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you know initially when uh, people hadn't really figured out the concept of kind of like bidirectional channels like HLC and things like that, there were regular unidirectional channels, right? And people were thinking about okay, how do we use how do we like leverage this single channel uh, in order to allow me to make uh, you know payments to other people that also have a similar channel. And the solution for that was basically the hub and spoke model, right? Where I have this unidirectional channel with the hub, and the hub, and then other people have, you know, the hub has a unidirectional channel with other people. And what I gotcha. do, I basically push money to the hub, and the hub pushes money to somebody else, right? And um, that's not really atomic because you kind of depend on the hub to actually, like, you know, move the money around. And, you know, you could say if the hub did something incorrectly, people would stop using it and it would shut down, right? But once we have the HTLC, there's really no need for the hub, right? Because now the payment can be fully atomic. Hubs were only necessary when they didn't have the uh, HTLC contract. You know, with that now, and it's coded, and people have looked at it, and there's different ways you can do it. That's no longer necessary. Um, you know, some people may use it for for particular applications, maybe for some game or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the uh, you know addition of basically the lightning aspect of it makes the hub hub model generally obsolete, right? Yeah. So now you can have uh, you know more resilient models also. And even if you were saying, okay, we have one hub, but he's trustworthy, well, that's like a single point of failure, right? That someone can just take down the hub, and all Absolutely. of a sudden, everyone can use their stuff. So, uh, you know, there may be combinations of, of, of either, but uh, ideally, if you want the network to be, you know, resilient, um, and uh, in, you want, if you want to be resilient, you also want it to be pretty well distributed and diffuse. So basically, you know, if some part of the network breaks down, then you can just keep routing around it elsewhere, you know, just like, just like the internet, essentially. Imagine if there was only, like, one, you know, internet exchange point or, like, ISP or autonomous system, and it was like, oh, well, it's down, now I can't use the internet today, you know, that wouldn't really work out. <laughs> so, you know, ideally, you want um, as many options as possible. You want, basically, a good degree of path diversity, which helps with some of the underwriting stuff they're working on as well. Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of, like, a summary, but, yeah. Wow. And, and like, earlier, you spoke about privacy enhancements. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I wonder if, you, like, you talked about CoinJoin and s- sort of things you can do with Lightning Network. Like, how could the Lightning Network help improve fund- fungibility um, on Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, so it can help improve fungibility with Bitcoin um, because, like I was saying, uh, right now, if I were to make a transaction, basically, it would be an on-chain transaction, right? Which is recorded, and uh, from that, you know, there's, like, the transaction graph, so you can trace the inputs and see where those came from, and people have done analysis on that, and I guess they're kind of good now. Uh, and most people basically don't care about privacy at all, so maybe they even like reuse the same address every single time, right? And that's that's basically okay. This is Alice. Alice gave mine this, and then sent back to Alice, and that's pretty bad. Um, there are techniques you can do on chain to you know help that, but like that's not really very widely implemented. Things like well, I guess it's like Jordan market for coin join and things like that. But the nice part about doing it on Lightning is that it's all off chain, right? Meaning I make the single on chain transaction to set up the channel or the joint account, and then from there every single payment I make is completely off chain, and then I close it, right? So basically, given an open of a channel and a close of a, ch- a channel, it's no one can tell how many payments you actually did, right? Or even sure. really who they paid to. But then we took that a step kind of further with Lightning, where there's like an onion routing aspect, right? So um, when I'm in the graph, you know, talking about routing a little bit, I basically say, okay, this is the person I want to pay, right? So what I do is, if there are other participants, I get their public keys, right? And I basically then construct a route, which is onion encrypted. 
Then I give this to the first hop, and all they know is basically who to send it to next, right? They don't even and, necessarily know and the so, source. And so what do you mean by onion encrypted? By onion or... encrypted, I mean that like first, you know, I have like key one, key two, key three. I encrypt with key one, and then I encrypt with key two, and then I encrypt with key three, right? And then I send that to say node three first, who then takes off the first layer. Now there's two. Person takes off the second layer. Now there's one, and then take up the final layer to the destination. So oh, the advantage wow. of this is that the participants have basically li ideally limited information about, you know, basically who the destination is, who the sender is. We even do some things where we keep the packet fixed size, so they don't even know how long the route really was, or even where they were in uh, the position of the route itself. And uh, this is a very desirable property because then this gives you basically a degree of censorship resistance, right? So, you know, let's say if we didn't have any writing, right? And I had A, B, C, you know, Alice, Bob, Carol, I'm Alice, I want to send money to Carol. Let's say Bob has beef with Carol, doesn't like Carol, says, okay, this payment's for Carol, I'm going to drop it, and I'm not going to let her do it, right? With onion writing, Bob doesn't even know necessarily that I'm going to Carol. So, and because Bob wants to, you know, earn some fees and wants to actually, you know, continue to afford payments, he's going to afford it anyway. So this makes the network you know, much more resilient as a whole and lets us you know, avoid things like you know, someone getting blacklisted on the network or like you know, someone, um, people turning against a particular participant. This makes it uh, much more resilient because now uh, people have the minimal amount of information needed to perform their job, which is, also, which is always you know, a pretty good security property where you only need to know who the next person is and then that works and that's fine. And this can be combined in other ways also um, you know, to do a little bit fancier stuff. Like uh, one thing you can do with this is you can actually like atomically pay like five people at the same time, essentially, just by crafting the route to offload more money to each participant, and you can basically do these very cool atomic payments, um, which is which is cool. And there's like even you know, fancier stuff you can do on that, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and how many how many transactions um, per second will Lightning Network make Bitcoin capable of? Um. Uh, or Decred. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can already network. Um, uh, you know, in one sense, you could say like unbounded, right? Because I could basically open two channels between myself and leave it open for five days and come back and I did five million and I broadcast it. Um, so you can say like a very, very high number, right? You can say like hundred thousands of millions. Um, so in the, in our current software, like with the the daemon itself, like I think we, we we haven't really done much optimizations yet. But like in a single direction on a channel, I can get like um, like five five to four k or so between two different computers. And this wow. is kind of with a uh, it's not the best version of kind of the protocol for updating the current transaction that we can come up with. We have some other ones with this current one and some other constraints that we've added in there. You can do you know in the thousands on there's just like my laptop and some other computers itself. And then that's only in a single direction, so you can imagine basically scale linearly with the number of channels you have open. So basically, if you want to, if you have the available payment bandwidth, and you want to keep sending payments. You can do so at basically a very, very high rate. And uh, you know, if we have ten nodes, they're all doing five thousand, you know, fifty thousand, five hundred thousand, and so on. So it will basically scale linearly with the number of participants, and depending on the number, the size of the payment, and also the amount of money within the channels itself. Now, do any projects that you know of currently have, I mean, fully fledged uh, Lightning Network already implemented? Oh, uh, outside of Bitcoin or? Just, to, just on the on like a mainnet. Um. Um, you well, I mean, yeah. So like, there are certain um, chains now which do have malleability, and uh, you know, we tested on things like Litecoin. I think there's uh, right. a Vertcoin, another one, uh, but they aren't really fully operational yet. So uh, you know, one stage we're in currently is that there is a set of specifications for Lightning. It's like GitHub.com slash Lightning Network slash Lightning RFC, and that's basically the full spec of everything, essentially, right? And uh, you know, working on this is basically near completion. And there are basically a few other people that are also working on these specs with us. There, um, there's Wesley and Christian Decker from Blockstream. Um, you know, there's myself and some of the other people on my team. And then there's also uh, Claire, this French company. And so pretty soon here, we'll start to be doing you know interoperability testing because this actually prove um, you know the efficacy of the specification itself. And then from there on, we'll actually start to move to like a full production setting. Um, and I think it's getting very close. Like for LND, the you know the software I work on, uh, we're nearing our next release, which will be dropping very soon. Has some cool features and like a new mode uh, within itself. And then from there on, it basically just be working towards hardening the software and making sure you know it's fully fully reliable. I can like unplug it and everything's fine and do backups and things like that. So I think I think now, we're getting very close. With with Decred being you know a, a BTC suite fork, um, how do you think that? Um, bringing the Lightning Network to Decred is going to be, and, and you know, if you're not 100% familiar with the Decred code base, you know, that's okay. Um, but do you think that it's going to be uh, 
you know, a, 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 a huge challenge or do you think that, you know, because of what it is and because you guys have, you know, done a lot of work with BTCD already, do you think it's going to be easy to, you know, bring it over? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, so I, I guess I don't really know the decode code base that well, but I know BTCD as well, and I know like you know that it's like a fork of it and ha had some other changes on top of it. But I could say that at least like due to LND's architecture, the way you know things are kind of like abstracted out. Like for example, our switch when we enabled Litecoin, the diff was like actually pretty small, just because we had you know kind of like these like backends abstracted out, so we can like swap one out for another. And I think uh, it, it will be that way also. Uh, you know, decode wouldn't actually get around. Get get around to it because like the code bases or at least like the libraries we use basically have like a shared lineage in a BTC suite. Uh, I don't really envision it be taking you know that long at all or really that many hours. The only thing is if there are any differences with scripting, but I think they're pretty similar. I've looked looked into too heavily, but I think it would just do the way LNDs architected. We can like swap it out, and that'd be okay. All right, fantastic. Now we <laughs> we only have about ten minutes left. You know we're trying to keep these episodes uh, to around an hour long. Um, That's right. I think at this point in time, um, you know, we just kind of want to know a little bit more about you. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm wondering, I mean, why roast beef? I mean, is there, <laughs> is there a history or a story behind that? I mean, you uh, are the roast beef. Yeah, roast beef. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is indeed a story around this. Are you, are you ever not going to be roast beef? Uh, I don't think so. Like, it just, <laughs> uh, just kind of stuck. Like, I think I was probably like – I think it was like my sophomore year of high school and you know I was like playing football in Texas and one day I got back from football practice and I was like getting into like World of Warcraft and at that yeah. point I was like you know I was like making a username for that and I was like all right what am I going to name it like I everything I was think of it was basically taken you know it's pretty super popular game and at the time I was eating like a uh, Subway Club which among other you know meats has roast beef in it and I was like this might work so I put roast beef in with the tea and that was taken and I was like damn I took out the tea and then it wasn't taken and then since then, every single platform online I signed up for has never been taken, right? So, so it's, it's all, I'm roast beef. Like, I don't even think about it. Roast beef, boom, it's done. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. that's hilarious. Because I noticed, you know, your Twitter handle was just R-O-A-S-B-E-E-F. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's no T. It's very yeah, important. That's impressive. You don't have any kind of need for, you know, any uh, underscores or numbers. Yeah, or, or numbers. Yeah, I was doing that initially, but then roast beef is just, it was pretty short and sweet. And, like, it makes me laugh also. You know, yeah, I was never trying to be too safe by anything. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Teller, do you have any questions? You know, well, uh, goofy yeah. questions. Well, I don't have a goofy question. I have more of a technical one. But sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so, um, you know, I guess a lot of people, I, I, I myself, I don't think I quite understand this, but so when the transactions, all these payment channels are open, mm -hmm. I imagine that it's taking either a lot of memory or, or, or whatever um, to be able to graph all those transaction if you have hundreds of thousands, millions open at the same time. Um, where, where is all this data being saved? Because if it's not on the blockchain, like, where is it? Where does it live? Um, so you and, mean like, and, like the graph itself, yeah. like all the channels? Yeah, exactly. So if they're not being held on the blockchain because they're off-chain, mm -hmm. where, where essentially are they being stored, I guess? Like, how are these payment channels staying open? Mm -hmm. um, like, what's keeping them open if, if mm -hmm if you know the transaction is you know essentially not on the blockchain mm -hmm. so like you know every payment channel has one uh, transaction on the chain itself you know which is like the opening transaction which is basically like you know the 2 of 2 multisig which is my key and your key right and yeah, we can so. basically you know universally identify our payment channel by that like outpoint which is the txid and then the output index right so then using that we can say okay that's our channel but now you can run into an issue where it's like okay let's say i want to advertise this channel to somebody else because i want them to know of that route they could say, how do I know that channel is actually there, right? So what we do is we actually construct proofs that the channel is actually there, that we control, you know, the channel that we can actually do updates, and also that, you know, in this upper layer of lightning, we have identities, and these identities also basically have this relationship, right? And so then we can hand people that proof, and they can say, oh, okay, this checks out, it's in the blockchain, I have these, you know, four signatures, this means they, they can update the money, and these are actually the identities, and then people can, you know, basically propagate that along. Um, so, you know, we store the state necessary to update our channel itself, which is basically the, um, you know, we keep track of the balances, the number of state updates we've done, um, to things called revocations, and then also the keys needed to actually do the signatures, right? And then in order for me to actually, you know, have the graph of everyone else's channel, I also store some state locally, which is let, lets me route these payments around. And that state is basically, um, you know, that proof, if I want to tell people about the proof again, well, actually, once I verify the proof, I can, I can abandon that, right? 
And then all I all I actually need is I need basically you know this like adjacency list essentially or like um, kind of like who's connected to who. And once I have that, I can do the routing itself. And amongst that, you know, I can need to know basically who the channel is open between, and then also the value amount of the channel. And then you know in the routing layer, there are other policies like you know what's the minimum HLC they'll accept, um, you know what's their fee policy, and so on. So once I have basically this connectivity information, and then also the information that tells people um, if I can route through them or not, and how I should do that, that's what you need to actually actually you know join the network and route payments and so on. Fantastic. And uh, we actually have a question from the audience. It is from cool. the one and only Dave Collins. Um, hey, Dave C. Yeah. And that <laughs> question is, um, he would like to know your thoughts on viewing Lightning Network transactions as circuits. Yeah, oh, and first, yeah. Maybe, maybe talk about what you mean by circuits, too. Um, that might be a good lead-in. Uh, yeah, so I think what he means by circuit is, uh, you know, it's kind of like an electronic circuit. Uh, and like, you know, there's kind of like an abstract sense where it's like, you know, you have A and B and there's like some current or whatever flowing through A and B, right? Um, so, you know, in the internet, there's kind of like a, there, it's like a packet switch network, meaning that someone gets a packet and basically, you know, they just look at like, um, they compare it and then see, okay, this is the destination and this is packet switched, right? But, you know, things like telephones are actually circuit switch networks, right? Meaning, you know, if I'm calling you on the phone through the traditional system, I basically create this circuit, which is persistent, and then we can communicate over that itself. So uh, because we actually use unwriting also, they're basically, uh, once they view a circuit, the economy of fact that the customer risk can be measured in yeah. the time, the code using so. Set control. Yeah, so he's, quote, he's quoting something from the Lightning yeah. white paper. From what? When transaction, uh, it's from the Lightning white paper. When transactions oh, are yeah. viewed as circuits and contracts yeah. instead transaction packets, the consensus yeah. risk can be measured by the amount of time available to cover the UTXO set controlled by hostile parties. Um, and I, I think you, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like way over my head, but Dave C probably like circuit is actually like the exact model you should be using to think about these things because, uh, you know, the circuit contracts, what lets you think about it, like, you know, being off chain, right? That you can say some of the participants are on different chains, but it's still like one clear circuit, right? So uh, there's two stages. There's basically you know creating the circuit, which is me saying, okay, everyone add this HLC. This is how it's going to be routed. You know, hand waving around, unwriting, and then it gets to the participant, right? And now the circuit's created essentially, and it it can stay open on two occasions. One is the it's actually settled, or the timeout occurs. So these are like expiring circuits, right? And in the optimistic case, which is it's settled, then it gets settled backwards, and basically everyone can then delete the circuit state. Gotcha. And so, uh, you know and this can be generalized even further. So, so you to, can have multiple people on the same circuit. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, there's some other things like uh, with inwriting that we can take it even further, where we can allow people to um, you know, establish the circuit, but then reuse it for a bunch of different other payments. Right now, the circuit is essentially one time, because uh, the thing we're using called Sphinx. With Hornet, we can make it um, you know, actually more dynamic. And the cooler part with these circuits also is that like, you know, right now we, we talk about HCLCs, but these can be uh, you know, generalized much more further, right? This could be some multi-stage you know, contract that has different um, you know, executions at different points. And then finally, once it gets the participant, they do their duty, and then it propagates backwards to everybody else. So it's, like, it's, a, it's a pretty powerful contract right now. We're using it you know, for ACLCs, these like, conditional payments. But uh, because it's so general, you know, it can be used in the off-chain setting, multi-chain setting, and then also for different you know, more advanced type of contracts as well. Awesome. Um, and so the other thing that uh, somebody in the audience would ask, uh, thoughts on potential counterparty theft? And um, you know, I, I guess um, the Lightning Network nodes are quite more expensive to, to run versus other nodes. Um, I, I don't know. I've, uh, I've yeah, heard yeah. that. I, I don't know. But, uh -huh. but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. counterparty theft and then uh, Lightning, Network's, Lightning Network node centralization, um, if you could talk about both those things real sure. quick. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, some people say it's a little more expensive because, like, you know, you have your cryptocurrency there and it's on the machine. And, you know, some people will think that uh, there's some opportunity cost by having it, you know, within Lightning versus elsewhere, right? But, you know, I'd argue that that may not necessarily be the case because, like, you know, if I have these, like, Litecoin, I mean, uh, my coins in, light, in Lightning, then I can move them instantaneously, right? I can basically move them whenever I want to. While if I had them you know, on regular UTXOs, I need to like craft a transaction and broadcast and wait for the um, actual confirmation time itself. So you can say that maybe you do get like higher utility out of your transactions on Lightning itself. But also additionally, 
um, because there's transaction fees involved, you may be able to you know, earn some uh, you know, negligible, not negligible amount of actually writing payments around. So basically every time you forward a payment, you basically forward out less than you forwarded in, right? So super simple example, someone's sending me one Bitcoin, I take half Bitcoin and I send half Bitcoin elsewhere, right? I take a half Bitcoin fee. So obviously fees won't be as high, but at least with that point, um, you know, if you can have this computer, have it be online, be relatively well connected, you can you know, passively start to accumulate some of your Bitcoin additionally. And I think many people that are in you know, cryptocurrencies, um, you know, they're about their savings, right? And uh, maybe they don't really spend that much. Some do, some don't. There's different access patterns, different uh, behavioral patterns. Uh, but using this, they can basically, you know, have a greater degree of utility for their coins because they can move them potentially anywhere and then possibly also get some, um, uh, some monetary, uh, you know, benefit out of it. Basically looking at it as kind of like a very low interest uh, savings account. It doesn't really exist currently. And there's like a bunch of scams that people try to say, oh, send one Bitcoin here, we'll send two Bitcoin back, you know, stuff like that. That doesn't work, but this actually works. Um, and then I guess what was the other thing? The other thing was about uh, centralization. Um, yeah, so centralization. Um, so, you know, like I touched on it earlier that like due to the digits of HTLCs, we don't, we don't necessarily really, really need the hub model at all. And, uh, you know, people have started to game it out and they've kind of like, you know, extrapolated beyond it. And if, you know, people were actually to have active hubs in it today, they basically need, a, you know, a ton of capital, right? And uh, to them, that capital, it may not be worth it unless they're basically very, very high velocity payments, right? Meaning that even though they have their money within the system, if their payments are happening very frequently, then, you know, they get a fee on each payment itself. So that's the ideal model for them, right? But if, you know, people join this like massive hub or whatever, and they make payments, you know, like, twice a month, then that's really not like useful allocation of the hub money itself, right? The channels, you know, the relationships which, which will net you the most in fees are the ones that are the most high velocity because they're moving, you know, as fast as possible, essentially. Um, so, so as a result of that, the hub model may not really make much sense unless you have like a high velocity channel itself. And also, like I was saying before, um, you know, for the network to actually be super resilient itself, you want it to be as like diffuse and have, um, you know, uh, it should be as well connected as possible, right? So if you have these like two central points essentially where most of the activity is happening, then that can be pretty frail or fragile, right? Because if these one of these two goes down, then basically the operational capacity of the network is cut in half, essentially, right? And that's fragile. And uh, you know the point of these systems is that when they can decentralize, we can make them more resilient because there's not like this you know, single point of failure or this like massive target that people can actually um, start to access. Um, so yeah, and then you know in the next version of LMD, like I've been working on some things around. Um, uh, you know, allowing nodes to basically locally make decisions when opening channels immediately to like tend to kind of like a more globally optimal transaction graph itself. So ideally, uh, you know, the uh, wallets and things like that will actually automatically open up channels for you to a degree, right? And, uh, you know, if we can do this intelligently and, you know, there's a degree of heuristics we can use and you know, so, we'll, so we'll, a little bit of math, then we can create kind of, a, you know, a uh, topology that's very diffuse but yet very uh, resilient. And uh, ideally, you know, you can use the regular topology um, to make your payments. But uh, as always, if you have participants which you're making payments to very, very frequently, you would want to basically open the channel directly with them because you save on fees. And then also, you know, you have a direct relationship in there. So I think that, you know, that basically the um, kind of, um, you know, preferential attachment-based model for, uh, um, along with the kind of organic model where me opening the channels as, um, you know, as I can need, I think that, you know, will tend to a more resilient uh, model itself. But as always, to be seen, you know, we can have this code, we can have the defaults, people can do all this other crazy stuff. So I think once we actually get this out there, we'll, start, we'll, we'll you know, we'll see some from some empirical evidence, and then maybe modify some of our, um, you know, heuristics and algorithms, and also, you know, just gauge how things are going on in the space itself. Wow, that fantastic answer. answer. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we are we are coming to the conclusion of our show. Uh, this it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here today. You're obviously one of the rising stars in cryptocurrency. Uh, whether people realize that or not, I see it. And as a Bitcoin holder, as a Decred holder, um, as a holder of many things, actually. Uh, but yeah, th thanks a lot for the work you're doing. Uh, I was really interested to listen to you talk and you know kind of hear you know straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, you know, what, what, what is the lightning network? You know, what is it going to enable? What does it do? And, you know, also to hear you uh, just genuinely address, you know, many of the concerns, you know, that have been put forward about the lightning network. Um, Tyler, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, no, man, uh, dude, my, my head's like going to blow up now. <laughs> know, <right? laughs> Information overload. Like, yeah. Like I, I just, it was like, whoa. Uh, but yeah, we, we got uh man, it was awesome to really have you on the show and, uh, you've really 
uh, know your stuff, man. I'm, I'm really impressed with everything. Cool. Actually, and, uh, one, one minute real quick. I'm reading this quote again. I think what they're getting on the paper is basically that, like, if you go to circuits, then um, if you're trying to, like, determine how adversarial control of the network is, then basically if you have more UTXOs, which if UTXOs are channels, then that lets you gauge basically how much how, what adversarial controls the network. And that can be very, very hard because you know, they basically need to buy up people's coin and things like that. And that, that puts a bound on basically the degree of control. Gotcha. But, yeah, sorry, I was like reading again. No, no, you're cool. No, no, no. We're, 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 no. Here, we're here to hear you talk, yeah. so, you know, <laughs> so by all means, if you need to yeah, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> is there is there anything else you you want to talk yeah, about or, or bring up? or closing thoughts, um, or do you want to say anything? Or, yeah, um, yeah uh, I guess just that like LND, uh, right now we're on 0.2 alpha. Uh, next is going to be 0.3. 0.3 is going to have some really cool stuff. Like it's going to um, uh, have like full compliance of that specification I mentioned earlier. And have some of these features I was talking about in order to start to you know create the graph in an automated fashion. It's also going to have a new light client mode in there, which I think will be very cool. And then afterwards, basically, that will be for the most part the end of new functionality coming into it. And at that point, we'll be going towards you know more stability and reliability of the software. Um, so yeah, we have some releases coming up soon, and hopefully, people can help test. You know, it's always helpful when we have a bunch of testers. You can report bugs very easily. Um, but yeah, so I think that's uh, that's like my closing comment, I guess. New version coming well, out. Soon. Uh, I think one thing I would ask too earlier was so I think you, you do you work with Lightning Labs is that uh, uh yeah yeah so okay. I'm I'm a co-founder of Lightning Labs okay awesome and I think Elizabeth Stark is also behind that company um, yeah and, yeah Stark yeah, so it, and I like so I met with the Joseph Poon I had dinner with him when we were at um uh, consensus yeah oh cool and, yeah. Yeah, and he's an awesome guy. And, you know, he mentioned kind of like there's the Lightning Network and then there's kind of Lightning Labs and like what's kind of the cooperation in the space and, and kind of what's funding Lightning Labs. I'm just kind of curious about that kind of aspect of, of the project. Yeah, so, you know, there's like the Lightning Network, which I guess, um, you know, most succinctly is like the specification itself. And then, you know, the, the people around that, because like an open source project, you know, there's a mailing list, there's a GitHub, and people can, you know, say, hey, what about this? Or like, you know, maybe we should do this. And it's kind of like, you know, there's an open source project. And there's Lightning Labs, which is us. And, um, you know, we're a company that's kind of, uh, you know, one of our main missions is basically to develop, you know, more scalable and private technologies for blockchains. And one of them, uh, you know, for Bitcoin in general also, one of them is Lightning itself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have like a few engineers, including me. And uh, it was kind of created because uh, we realized there needed to be like NC just really like actually, you know, realized this paper essentially, and someone had to you know you know put basically some man hours behind it and see this to fruition. Um, and yeah, awesome. I don't know if that, I don't know if you have any more questions, but that's like a quick story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and there are other there are other implementations also. Like there is like two or three other implementations of Lightning. Like you know, ours is one LND. When Blockstream works on one, there's a company called Eclair, and there's some people from MIT also do some you know channel opt-ins as well. So it, you know, it's, it's like there are many participants involved in it already. Um, so you can say it's pretty decentralized and distributed as far as developers, and it's very cool because we have you know these distinct parties. We also get like a really you know good degree of review because these everyone has different backgrounds and they you know they have uh, different interests. So we have you know a bunch of people looking at you know the code itself and also the design of the network, which is always good because once you have you know more eyes reviewing things like cryptocurrencies, any, any you know. New peer to network that comes up, you need to be like very, very sure it's resilient and as well as well designed. So I think you know on that front, like because uh, you know it's so distributed already, then I think we're in pretty good shape on that front. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, well, you know, I, I think uh, this I can say you know speak for our entire community and you know the development team as well. Um, you sound in insanely busy, but if you ever do have a moment <laughs> and you want to come hang out with some nerds or you know get some video games or whatever, man, you're always welcome to uh, welcome to come by our Slack channel. Um, I'm sure everybody would love to see you there. I'm pretty sure you could probably say that about any crypto community. Uh, <laughs> but since you're on our show, I wanted to invite you to uh, the Decred Slack uh, just whenever, if you're feeling like it, you know, that would be excellent. Um, now, I did want to, I've got a very special surprise for the community, and this is something, you know, that we've been looking forward to for a long time. So give me just one second. Oh, snap. Hey! <laughs> so... so <laughs> So we finally have a cat to shave. Everybody say hello. This is Freckles. She is 18. I know Jake is probably particularly excited about this because we're not going to have to shave his non-existent cat now. Um, Chad, I, I show up to bat for Decred, okay? You know, like, he, he brings wanted his cat. cat. Yeah. He wanted a cat to shave. 
we have a cat to shave. So we're nice. we're doing very well now. Um, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> now that we have that out of the way, um, dude, it was awesome to have you on here. We're gonna wrap this up. Um, I really hope that you know when um, Decred begins implementing the Lightning Network, we can have you on again at some point if you're interested. Uh, you were a fantastic guest. Hearing you talk is just awesome. You're a bro. It was cool hanging out with you. Uh, you're just a cool. You're just a cool guy, man, and uh, we, appreciate, we, we appreciate having you on a lot. Uh, definitely uh, one of our favorite guests so far, even though all of our guests were freaking awesome so far. Um, but you're, you were definitely yeah. the man. Uh, so, and, and you should bring up, you yeah. know, like why we kind of haven't had a show in, in a few weeks. And um, Oh, yeah, and, you know, I wanted to say this as well. You know, uh, Tyler and I were talking, and, you know, we really want to make sure when we have these episodes that we bring you quality content, uh, that we bring you quality guests, um, and while the target is to have an episode every week, um, you know, sometimes life does happen. Sometimes we can't secure a quality guest. Um, so occasionally there will be a two, uh, maybe even three week gap. I mean, as much as I like hearing myself talk and uh, <laughs> Tyler, not to the degree is, you know, same degree as me, but I'm sure he likes hearing himself talk as well. Um, we understand that nobody wants to listen uh, to Tyler and I just kind of going back and forth with each other about how amazing Decred is. So, um, yeah, we could do that all day. Okay. So, uh, with that being said, we just really come to the Slack channel. Yeah, come to the Slack channel. I mean, you'll get that anyway, right? Um, so, with that being said, you know, we really do appreciate everybody coming by today. We appreciate the audience being there live. Um, Roast Beef, aka Lalu, uh, the Lightning Network man, the guy. Uh, dude, you've been awesome once again. Thanks, Thanks to everybody for coming. We will announce, um, I guess, within the next few days when the next episode is going to be. If you have any ideas or suggestions for who you'd like to see on our show, um, you can reach out to me. I'm DBT1033 and Decred Slack. Um, and Tyler is at TY13. Just type in at TY or you can just PM me and I'll hook you up with him. That might be something because his name is so extremely long. And hard to type out, but uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, that's gotta be short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but sure. I mean, everybody, uh, give roast beef a shout out on Twitter. Uh, he was amazing, and we thank you guys so much for coming by. Um, we'll be shaving a cat soon, so everybody, stay tuned. Make sure you like and share this video. We want everybody to see, um, you know, whether they're Decred community members or uh, Litecoin or you know whoever. I think this is very informative for just cryptocurrency in general. So thank you all so much for coming, and we will see you next time on the Decred Assembly. Have a, have a good one, guys.